Hey guys, welcome to a public podcast. My name is Kristen Arp, Sprouts and Roots Director at Public Church. Today's talk comes from our current series, Pursuit, which is all about being passionate for the next generation. Thank you for being part of our public podcast audience. My prayer is that you are challenged and changed by today's message. All right, so my opening question involves a bat. So do I have everyone's attention? All right, so I'm just wondering that growing up, when you were playing, did you ever imitate your heroes? Like you're growing up, you're playing in the yard, you imitate your heroes. So on the count of three, just shout out a hero, a role model that you tried to imitate growing up. One, two, three. I like it. We got people all over course of the room. So for me, I grew up in the golden era of Atlanta Braves baseball. Come on, there's some Braves fans in the house. Mm. Atlanta Fulton County Stadium, it doesn't get any better than that. And so I actually had in my yard, I had this area of my yard and a certain color jersey that I would wear when the Braves were at home. And then I had another area of my yard and a different shirt I would wear when the Braves were away. A little obsessive, I was a fan. And my baseball career began with imitating the Braves. So just to illustrate, had a little, uh, trying not to break anything, a little, little Chipper Jones action, any... Chipper Jones fans in the Hall of Fame. And then the key to imitating him is that he gave a little one, two. So you had to know, like, uh, I watched everything. So you come back one, two, and then you go. So we're going to drift back a little bit further for my next one. Um, if we go back to the early 90s, anybody remember Ron Gant? Okay, we got one Ron Gant fan. I loved Ron Gant. So for Ron Gant, he was up here. I mean, he was just work and then he would swing and you got to know how they finish and he would end just up high. You know, I like knew everything, just imitating them in the backyard. But then my baseball repertoire extended beyond just the Braves for the Ken Griffey Jr. The kid, backwards hat, tongue out, smile at the home run derby, right? Purest swing ever in the history of baseball and just like, and then he would always end right here. So growing up, did you imitate your heroes? I really thought about having pictures of them, but I'm like, my imitations are so good, you don't need pictures. I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> but did you ever imitate someone growing up? The reality is we all do that because the pursuit of our dreams involves the pursuit of someone else. For every single one of us, what we need is we need to see our dreams with skin on them. And so that's why we, we model other people. We follow them. We watch and observe, and then we act like them. And in so doing, we discover the path to our own dreams. And all of us have done this. And our current series, we're starting a brand new series today, and it's called Pursuit. And we'll get into more of that later. But just know the heart of our, our initial start today is the fact that Pursuing the pursuit of our dreams involves the pursuit of someone else. Knowing this reality is why high school football coaches eat up everything Nick Saban says, don't they? Like Nick Saban says something like, we got to listen because he's done it at this high level. We want to learn from him. Teachers, it's why a few years ago when I was still teaching at Bradley, Dr. Cash brought in Ron Clark for in-service from the Ron Clark Academy. She was trying to give us someone to model, someone to imitate because us achieving our dreams, man, the pursuit of our dreams involves the pursuit of someone else. We need to see our dreams with skin on them. 
And there's a guy named Paul who was a leader in the early church, and he understood this principle. And I think that's why he made a statement that when I first read it, I thought was one of the most arrogant statements I'd ever read. I mean, I read this like, oh my goodness, come on, Paul, you are so prideful. So if you have your Bibles or Bible apps, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 11.1. It'll also be on the screen. I thought it was so arrogant and repulsing, you need to see it with your own eyes. So we're going to look at this statement. Paul's writing a letter to a church in Corinth. At this point, Corinth is the third most important city in the Roman Empire. It's a city filled with excess, young people and excess. I mean, you have the opportunity in Corinth to do literally anything you want. And so Paul writes this. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. In other words, follow me as I follow Christ. And I read this and I was like, you can't get any more arrogant than this. Paul's saying, you want to see Jesus? Well, then you just got to come watch me because I got the corner on Jesus. I'm like, what is he talking about? So before we dive into this, I just want to say to those of you who don't follow Jesus, for those of you, probably all of us, who when we read our Bibles, we have questions. Let's bring our questions to God's word. And there's a line in a song we sing. It's called Ready or Not by Hillsong United. And I love the heart of this song. It says, come now, bring your hurts, your fears, your faith, your heart. Look, when we read God's word, this is what we should do. Whether or not you follow Jesus, I hope all of us read the Bible, even if you don't follow him. And when you read God's word, bring your hearts, your fears, your faith, your heart, bring your questions. But don't let your questions keep you from the text. Engage your questions and engage the text. That's what I did. And as I dug in, I began to see that Paul's statement, it's actually not arrogant. It's very authentic. A part of being authentic is being vulnerable. Here's why. Paul is writing to a group of people who never met Jesus. He's writing to people who don't know what it means to follow Jesus. And so all of us recognize that the pursuit of our dreams involves the pursuit of someone else. And I think Paul would be very comfortable with saying this, our pursuit of Jesus involves the pursuit of someone else. Just like we need to see our dreams with skin on them, we need to see Jesus with skin on it. And so Paul's saying, look, I'm writing these people. They've not seen Jesus, so I need to show them who Jesus is. Look, we all know that we have to see it because that's why the statement, hey, do as I say, not as I do, that's hogwash. It does not work, okay? If, if we're parents or teachers or in any kind of leadership, hey, just do what I say, not as I do, that doesn't work. We have to show people. So Paul says, with authenticity, I want to show you what it means to imitate Jesus. Here's why this is so authentic. Paul's saying, you can actually sit on the front row of my life. And I want you to have a front row seat for my successes and my failures. And in my successes, you'll see that I succeeded not because I'm awesome, because I serve a God who is awesome. And in my failures, you're gonna see my weaknesses on full display, but you're gonna see that the power of Jesus shines through my weaknesses. This is a very vulnerable thing for Paul to say, hey, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. It's a big deal for him to say that. And so what if we said that? Well, what if we looked at people and said, hey, imitate me as I imitate Jesus, because Paul's context is actually very similar to ours. Paul was in a city filled with people who literally needed to see the principles of Jesus lived out. Look, all of us have a sphere of influence. 
Whether that's the cul-de-sac in your neighborhood where you hang out and your kids play and you spend time with other neighbors, whether that's the gym where you work out, whether that's the grocery store you always go to, any Aldi fans in the 1030? Yeah, I'm an Aldi fan. Um, when Whitney goes, not me, but you know, I like it still. I like the products that come home from Aldi. We all have these places, whether it's work, these places we spend time. And in those places of influence, in our spheres of influence, there are people there that need to see Jesus with skin because our pursuit of Jesus involves the pursuit of someone else. So Paul's challenging us with this very authentic statement. But before we could ever stand up and say, hey, imitate me as I imitate Christ, we have to understand what is the pattern of Jesus? Like, like what does it really mean to imitate Jesus? And so Paul is going to dive into a very specific debate in their culture to show us the pattern of Jesus. He begins to dive in in verse 23 as he writes this. He says, you say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. So if you look at this, Paul says the word allowed two times. He's talking about things that we have permission to do, things that are lawful. But he says, look, just because I'm allowed to do it doesn't mean it's good for you. That means advantageous for someone else. Just because I can do it doesn't mean it's going to benefit you. Then he goes on in verse 24 and writes this, don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. It says that we got to look beyond ourselves. I love how the message version says this verse. I think it brings a lot of clarity. Paul writes, but the point is not to just get by. We all want to live well. That's true. We all want to live well. But our foremost efforts should be to help others live well. And so here's what Paul's saying. A lot of times in our lives, we ask this question, can I? Especially when we're teenagers and young adults growing up in the area of sexual purity, we're asking, can I do this and get away with it? Can I do this and no one know? Can I do this and not sin? And then expand that to all other areas of our lives. We're we're consistently asking, can I? Paul wants us to understand that imitating Jesus means changing the question from can I to is it beneficial for others? It's not enough for me to just go, oh, I'm allowed to do this. Oh, I can do this. Paul says, if we really want to embrace the pattern of Jesus, if we want to imitate Christ, then our question must change. We must begin to ask this in every situation. Is it beneficial for others? And then he dives into a very specific circumstance to show us how this works. He writes this in verse 25. So you may eat any meat that is sold in the marketplace without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Now, some of you are thinking, meat, steak, steak. Just a quick advertisement for the 12 o'clock gathering, in case you want to come to that. Just saying the food options are phenomenal because you can have brunch ahead of time or you can have a weight-free lunch after. Just a quick advertisement for the 12. Now, back to what Paul's saying. Paul's talking about meat. And some of us are like, uh, why are we debating meat? Like you cook the steak, I want it medium and just serve it to me, baked potato, salad. I don't really care about the salad, it just makes me feel better because I just want a steak. Come on, somebody. But in this culture, thank you, yeah, I'm getting excited myself. So like, if you'll serve steaks to the 12, we'll come. Okay, I get it, you know. We got a budget, people. But anyway, the point is this. Paul's saying, hey, meat is a big deal. It's actually a debated topic in this culture. Like, 
Why? Here's why. Because in the Old Testament, which is the first portion of our Bible, God gave very specific dietary commands to his people, to the Jews. It was very clear that some meat was clean and some was unclean. Without getting into all the weeds of that, here's one thing we know for sure. If meat was offered to an idol, it is definitely unclean. This presents problems for Jews living in the Roman Empire because in the Roman Empire, the Romans tried to enforce a law that said butchers could only be priests, which means that if you go to the marketplace in the Roman Empire, most of the meat being sold there was once sacrificed to an idol, and then it was put on the market to be steak on your grill. So for Jews, this was hard. Now, add into this whole mix that when Jesus showed up, He said, look, there's a new era. I'm ushering in a new era where nothing is clean and unclean. Everything is clean. You can eat anything. To which we're like, serve me the steak. I already said it. Like, I get the point. Where's it at? But imagine this. Imagine if your whole life you'd been told that eating a hamburger was a sin. This would be a terrible way to grow up. But just imagine. You were told that the bacon with cheddar cheese and pickles and Barbecue sauce and some onion straw. Anyway, okay, I'm sorry. The point is, you were told that this hamburger is a sin, and then all of a sudden, as you grew up, somebody said, eat all the hamburgers you want. God loves hamburgers. You would be like, yes, I love the hamburger. Ah, I'm torn because I've been told my whole life it's a sin. Do you you see the tension? This is what Jews live with every day. So Jesus followers with a Jewish background were like, steak, yes, ah, should I eat it? I'm torn. Jesus followers from a non-Jewish background were like, steak, medium, serve it now. What's the big deal? And so there's this tension. Into this tension, Paul says this in verse 27. If someone who isn't a believer asks you home for dinner, accept the invitation if you want to. Eat whatever is offered to you without raising questions of conscience. Here, Paul's already established. Look, nothing is unclean. Jesus said that. So now here's what he's saying. When you get invited to the home of someone who doesn't follow Jesus, you've got to change your question. When they set a stake before you, you can ask this, can I hammer them with questions about the source of this meat? Yes, you can. What would you do? Offend your host. Offend your host who doesn't have the same worldview as you do, who doesn't follow Jesus, who doesn't have the same standards as you do. So why would you pepper them with questions and try to enforce your standard upon them when they don't live by the same ethic? So Paul says, let's ask this question. Is it beneficial to my host for me to just eat it or for me to hammer them with questions? What's more beneficial for me to just eat it? But this is a complicated subject. So Paul goes on and says, but suppose someone tells you this meat was offered to an idol. Don't eat it out of consideration for the conscience of the one who told you. It might not be a matter of conscience for you, but it is for the other person. So Paul says, second scenario, you're at the home of someone who doesn't follow Jesus. They serve you a steak and they say, hey, that steak was first presented to an idol. Now what do you do? Well, you don't ask, can I eat it? Because of course you can. The knife and fork, the steak's right there. Don't eat it with steak sauce. Never eat a steak with steak sauce. But anyway, it's all right there. But the question isn't, can I? The question is, is it beneficial for the person who said, hey, that's been offered to an idol? And what's most beneficial for them is to recognize, okay, this is a problem for them. I'm going to say no. Paul goes on. Again, this is a tense subject. He says, for why should my freedom be limited by what someone else thinks 
If I can thank God for the food and enjoy it, why should I be condemned for eating it? Paul's saying this. He's saying, look, two different scenarios, we should respond in two different ways. How do we know what to do? We change our question. If we imitate Jesus, we no longer ask, can I? We ask, is it beneficial for others? And if I'm in the home of someone who does not follow Jesus, they present me a steak, hey, let's eat, boom, I eat. If I'm in that, a home of someone who doesn't follow Jesus, they present me a steak and said, hey, that was presented to an idol first, I go, no thanks, I'm good. Because the question guides me. I'm not thinking about what I want, my needs, and I just want to eat the steak. I'm thinking about what's going to benefit the other person. Paul goes on to say this. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Paul's saying this, choosing what is beneficial for others gives glory to God. In our opening song, we sang this bridge, not to us, but to your name. We lift up all the praise. And now Paul says, well, if we will ask this question, is it beneficial for others? Then we can not just sing that God gets all the praise. We can actually give him all the praise by how we interact in our everyday lives, even when it comes to stake. Paul goes on to say this in verse 32. He says, don't give offense to Jews or Gentiles or the church of God. He's saying, look, don't cause other people to stumble because you're selfish. Think beyond yourself. Think about what's benefiting them. This is the pattern of Jesus. He goes, he says, here's what I do. I too try to please everyone in everything I do. I don't just do what's best for me. I do what is best for others so that many may be saved. Here's what he's saying. He said, in every situation, I'm not just going, what am I allowed to do? What do I want to do? I'm constantly asking, is it beneficial for others? And then he tells us why. Why do I ask this question? Why do I care about what benefits you? Because I want people to get saved. I want people to be rescued from a life dominated by sin and to be given, enter into a relationship with Jesus where through his power they can overcome their sin. Paul says, I want people to be rescued from a life of hopelessness and given a hope that can only be found in Jesus. So putting my needs aside, putting my wants aside and thinking about your wants and what's best for you is worth it so someone could find Jesus. And so Paul clearly lays out the pattern of Jesus in a specific situation in his culture. Let's zoom out and ask this question. How did Jesus live this out? Because if our pursuit of Jesus involves the pursuit of someone else, here's how God responded to that principle that's true. God put on skin. If people in our world need to see Jesus with skin, well, God came, put on skin. His name is Jesus. But he didn't just come as a model. And it just make sure we understand this. We're like, oh, yeah, God came to earth. No, think about it. God wasn't back in heaven going, I'm just going to give you a list and some things to read, and y'all just figured out. No, he said, I'm coming to model this for you because you need to see it. So God put on skin. We called him Jesus, but it wasn't enough. Jesus died for our sins, even though he was innocent so that we could be forgiven of our sins and enter into a relationship with God. But it didn't stop there. Then Jesus rose from the dead. And here's what he did by rising from the dead. He took death from once being a hopeless inevitability, and he transformed death into a gateway into the presence of God. 
That death's no longer this hopeless inevitability. Death is now a gateway into the presence of God. That's what Jesus did. But let's back up. Let's say that we're in heaven and we're Jesus. Scary thought. Let's say we are. And Jesus asked this question. Can I stay in heaven? Could he? Yes. He could have stayed in heaven. What would have been the effects on humanity? Devastation. An inability to have any hope of overcoming our sin. The inability to have death viewed as anything but a hopeless inevitability. Thankfully, Jesus didn't stand back and say, can I? I don't have to. I'm just going to stay here. No, Jesus said, is it beneficial for me to stay in heaven? No, no, no. Here's what's beneficial for all of humanity. For me to sacrifice what's easy for me, to sacrifice comfort for me, and to choose what's beneficial for all of humanity, even to the point that Jesus gave his very life away and died for us. We are here. We have hope. We have the potential of a relationship with God, because Jesus didn't say, can I? Jesus said, is it beneficial for others? And that is the pattern of Jesus. So Paul establishes this, and then he says, imitate me, as I imitate Christ. Paul says, in every situation, I'm going with Jesus. I'm not asking, can I? I'm asking, is it beneficial for others? And there's a reality we've danced around that at this point we just need to straight up acknowledge. And it's this. Somebody is following everybody in this room. Somebody is following everybody in this room. Now, I know that that is two indefinite pronouns. So let's, let's make this personal. Let's begin to own this. Here's what that means. Jonathan and Caitlin... There are people in your life that are looking at you, whether you realize it or not, they're observing you, they're watching you, and they're trying to become just like you. Here's what this means, Greg and Nancy, you guys are phenomenal. And it means that there are people in your families, in your places of influence, where you work, and they're watching every move you make, and they're following in your footsteps, and they're trying to become like you. This means, Dwight, that somebody sees you and they see how you've navigated different seasons of your life from raising Jade to being empty nesters and they've watched you and, and soon they're gonna be going down that same path to being an empty nester now being a granddad. And they're like, how did Dwight handle this? And they're watching how you handle it. Joe, you're an incredible construction person. And there's people that wanna be in the construction business that watch your ethics, watch your excellence and they're going, man, I wanna be just like Joe Parisi. Somebody is following everybody in this room. The question, is our life worthy of their pursuit? Because the reality is, my pursuit is their pursuit. Your pursuit is their pursuit. So for the people who are already following us, let's just acknowledge that it's happening. Are we pointing them towards Jesus? Are they seeing us in our life circumstances saying, it's not about can I, it's about is it beneficial for others? Or are we leading them towards someone or something else? Is my life, is your life worthy of their pursuit? And we timed this series with the beginning of school. We did that on purpose. Here's why we did that. Because the reality is one of those somebodies following us is inevitably younger than us. 
We want to be a church who reaches the next generation. We want to be a church who teaches children and middle school students and high school students and college students and young professionals what it means to follow Jesus. But for us to do that, they need to see Jesus with skin. And we get that opportunity. So first, we've got to ask the question, if my pursuit is their pursuit, then where am I leading them? And if we're not asking the question, is it beneficial for others? We're leading them to someone or something other than Jesus. And then we have to, with authenticity, with boldness, with vulnerability, stand up in our spheres of influence and say, you imitate me as I imitate Jesus. Hey, come on, follow me as I follow Jesus. Take a front row seat in my life, see my successes, see my failures, and through it all, see Jesus because people need to see Jesus with skin. How do I know that? Because I needed that. And you know what always provided someone for me to imitate? My local church growing up. When I was in high school, Jason Cox was my student pastor. Jason was phenomenal. He had this gift called singleness that many of you would say, that's a curse. This singleness lasted into his late 20s. And here's what Jason did. Jason leveraged that gift of singleness to invest in students like me. One of the best ways I learned how to imitate Jesus by imitating Jason was on the way to UT football games and the way home. So let's just go through our little question grid. Could Jason have asked somebody his age to go with him to a UT football game? So he could be off. So he wouldn't have to be peppered with questions from a 16-year-old all the way up and all the way back about girls and all kinds of weird stuff. You know, could he have chosen someone his age? Yes, it would have been way easier. Was it beneficial for me? I'm the other. To get to ride up and ride back with him and pepper him with questions, oh yes, it was. Because I began to imitate Jason as he imitated Jesus. And when I served at a camp, with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes because Jason said, hey, you're coming with me, you're gonna serve. I came home from that and I had this passion rekindled for athletes in me. I said, Jason, what do I do with this? He said, you need to go to Damon Floyd, the head coach at Bradley Central Football, who was your position coach. And you need to ask him, hey, what can I do? Can I serve in any way? Ended up coaching for over a decade because I was following Jason as he followed Jesus. I did this so much that I actually followed him into his career choice. Like literally I'm in college choosing my major and I'm embarrassed because I'm about to become a history major and Jason's a high school history teacher. And I'm like, everybody's gonna think I'm just copying him. Everybody's gonna think I'm just imitating him. But the reality is that is where God was leading me. So I had to get over my pride and just follow in his footsteps. He was a high school history teacher and a youth pastor, he's bivocational. So for a season, I was a high school teacher in bivocational ministry. Later in life, Jason, went into full-time ministry, and hello, I'm in full-time ministry. I've been following Jason as he followed Jesus. I actually followed Jason to three different churches. (laughs) One of those churches he left before I did, and that's when I began to follow Jake Stum. Began to imitate Jake Stum as he imitated Jesus, and Jake changed the way I read God's Word. Jake taught me that I had permission to bring my questions to God's Word. And when I stand up here and say, hey, engage your questions and engage the text, Jake's stum is coming out of me. 
Not only that, but if we think about the can I versus is it beneficial for others question, Jake asked this question, can I live in a nice house in a nice neighborhood and then drive into a neighborhood where I'm trying to empower my neighbors to revitalize their neighborhood in a neighborhood that's basically been overlooked and forgotten in Cleveland? Can I drive in and serve them? Yes, I definitely can. Is it more beneficial for me to drive in and serve them or for me to sell my nice house in a nice neighborhood, move into their neighborhood? So I'm not just a neighbor when I drive in, I'm a neighbor every day when I wake up in the house next to them. That's what Jake did. He moved into the neighborhood. Kind of like Jesus moved into our neighborhood when he came to earth. And Jake's love for the marginalized, for those overlooked, is probably one of the reasons that we love Willowbent because you guys are reaching the overlooked. And so our investment with you guys is really just a little bit of Jake's time coming out of me. 2014, we began public church, then known as Candy's Creek City Church. It was a campus of Candy's Creek. And at that point, I began to imitate and follow Jamie Work who is our founding lead pastor. And I'll never forget a staff meeting. Jamie stood up and he said, hey, I'm gonna tell you guys and teach you how I prepare to speak. And so I got at my computer, I took notes as a document I still have saved on my computer to this day. And then over the years, I just started by imitating Jamie and doing exactly what he did to prepare. And then I began to own it. And as I read other people, I began to make it my own and contextualize it to the point that a few weeks ago, I stood up in front of a room of communicators and I said, hey, I wanna teach you how I prepare to speak. And I stood in front of them because Jamie wants to in front of me. And what about the can I? Jamie could ask this question. Can I retire after 25 plus years of ministry and just take it easy? To which all of us would say, man, you've earned that. Man, you deserve that. Go ahead, Jamie. But Jamie asked this question. Is it more beneficial for me to retire and just take it easy here? Or is it more beneficial for me to retire, relocate to the Middle East and serve people who've never heard the name of Jesus there? And that's what he and his late bride did. And the impact of them taking the story of Jesus to people who have never heard it will ripple throughout all of eternity. And so I followed Jason. I followed Jake and I followed Jamie as they followed Jesus. You know where I learned the most from them? When they messed up, (laughs) when they had to apologize, when they didn't get it right. And I saw it's not because they're awesome, it's because they serve a Jesus who is awesome. This doesn't mean we have to be perfect, but it does mean we have to be vulnerable and say, you imitate me as I imitate Jesus. Because in our church, there's a young girl named Maggie and her sister, Olivia. Maggie's about a year and a half and Olivia's 11. They have awesome parents, Jean and Bridget. But ladies, I want you to know that as Maggie and Olivia grow up, they're gonna start looking to some of you. They're gonna notice you and start observing. You may not even know that they are. What they're doing is they see something in you that they wanna be and they're gonna begin to imitate you. Is your life worthy of Maggie's and Olivia's pursuit? Men, There's a young man in public students named Zaire. I love Zaire. He's got a great, a big family, a great family, great parents, Alan and Joanna. Inevitably, Zaire is gonna look at some of us men and he's gonna see something that catches his eye and he's begin to observe us and watch us and begin to imitate us. Men, is our life worthy of Zaire's pursuit? Can we say, 
to the next generation. Hey, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. So public worship is going to come up. And I just want us to wrestle with that question. Is my life worthy of a younger person's pursuit? Their pursuit is my pursuit. Where am I leading them because they're already following us? And maybe you're here today and you said, I just need to follow Jesus for the very first time. Like, I, I don't follow him. Our prayer team is going to be by this exit sign. Please go talk to them. And as we wrestle with that, we're going to have a couple songs, but I'm actually going to invite Jake Stum. He's here today with us at the 1030. And Jake is just going to pray over our church. But as Jake comes up, I just want us to know, as we sing these last two songs, let's worship with passion, knowing that somebody's watching and they're going to begin to worship Jesus just like they see us do it. So Jake, would you just pray over our church? Love you, man. I told Todd I was going to do this. <clears throat> but to keep this simple, <clears throat> I love your pastor with all my heart. <clears throat> At our chapel, we end each service with a quote <clears throat> from a historical figure that God used to rescue my faith. Uh, Todd, <clears throat> hey, forgive me. Todd got to see me wrestle deeply with my faith and with questions. And one of those historical figures that God used to redirect everything about my life is St. Francis of Assisi, a 13th century monk, which is why I've become so weird in my old age. <clears throat> but we end all of our services at our, our little chapel that I pastor with a quote from him. And that's simply what I want to pray for your church. And it's hit when his when his followers asked him, how do we impact this culture that we're living in, which was a gross time of church history in Rome, and the church was completely irrelevant to the poor. And St. Francis said to his followers, we've been called to heal wounds, to unite what has fallen apart, and to bring home those who have lost their way. So please let me pray that simple prayer over your church and over your leadership. Father, would you continue to allow public church to heal wounds. Man, our culture is deeply wounded. And we need people who will step into the mess and heal wounds. God, would you continue to allow public church to unite what has fallen apart? Relationships. People's faith. Whatever it is. And Lord, would you continue to use public church to bring home those who have lost their way? Heal wounds. Unite what has fallen apart and bring home those who have lost their way. In Jesus' name, amen.